Kilda, welcome to another episode of Skeezy D's. Um, today, today, um, about the sort of formation and collapse of the Soviet Union, something that is quite near and dear to my heart. Now, shouldn't need to be said, but um, obviously good old Soviet Union wasn't a perfect peach. Uh, some would go as far to say it was quite an imperfect nectarine. Um, that being said, uh, it, with the benefit of hindsight, we can say that its collapse was a humanitarian disaster on a scale only matched by, uh, international war. Um, both internally for the Soviet Union, but also for the world at large. Um, well, hey, we, we love to see it. Um, might be able to get into that, but I'll be honest, I haven't, I haven't done my full research on the, I've, because I'm, I'm, I'm currently at the point of my sort of research process, I'm currently like looking at the actual collapse of the Soviet Union, and that's bad, and basically most historians that I respect in the area have said like, yeah, uh, Shit's fucked. Um, about like, you know, the immediate aftermath. So that's what we're looking. That's what I'm looking forward to reading about. I love reading about misery. Um, but to understand the collapse of a thing, you've got to understand the beginning of a thing. So this is the part where I spent ages basically condensing Mike Duncan's fantastic revolutions podcast into like. 30 minutes or something. Um, so, in the 1800s, right, there's a lot of communist, essentially, agitation across Europe. We literally have no frame of reference for this today. Um, but imagine, if you will, uh, I don't know, the Green Party is illegal, but twice as popular. Um, and they're like bombing people and that's basically the vibe um, so like a significant number of people are involved in like openly violent movements um, with the aim of establishing communist states so kicking out the kings kicking out uh, the bourgeoisie the, the people who own things um, and leaving a society behind that's just full of people who work for a living um, it never quite manages to succeed. Um, the closest they get, there's two instances. Uh, one of them is the 1848 revolutions. 
um, which is mostly driven by nationalism or the communism. Um, it's mostly people wanting self-determination, so the right to choose their own kings and stuff. Um, but there's also a lot of communists involved, um, and they essentially, and this is like, you know, we, we get into a little bit of Russia, one of the big things that ends up shutting them down is uh, the Tsar just summons an army of peasants and fucking steamrolls shit in Eastern Europe to get the kings back. Um, that is, if, if any historian adept in 1848 heard that, they would gut me and hang my edits from a sign on State Highway 1. Uh, but that's what that's all you need to know for the purposes of this um and the other one is the paris commune a poly commune um where paris like has a communist revolution they decide well not communist they have a um like uh left communist revolution a, a fucking liberal communist revolution i don't know they like they're like, ah, let us overthrow the state. And they're like, how are we going to do that? And it's like, well, we're going to form committees to have meetings on how to overthrow the rest of the state. And then while they're having meetings and, like, refusing to, um, like, do anything to secure their power, the rest of France just sort of collapses on them and crushes them. Um, a lot of people like to idealise the... Um, the commune and there's definitely like aspirational aspects to it but it mostly stands as a testament to like Machiavellian politics of like hey make sure that your enemies are like at least locked up before you start trying to like run things um, well once again spoilers for later um, so yeah we end up getting to the 1900s now Russia is a shithole. Um, I don't know to what extent these days, but definitely in the uh, early 1900s, it is a fucking terrible place to live. Um, it's a terrible place to live for basically every single strata of society, except for maybe the nobles. Um, and even then, they like spend most of their time traveling abroad, abroad because fucking Russia is so fucking awful. Um, and, like, largely this is because their economy is undeveloped. Um, so, this like, they're selling pr uh, primary materials. So, they're, like, sending coal, pig iron, a um, little bit of oil at this point even. Um, and, like, food. Well, not even food, just, like, grain. Like, they're sending grain to Germany for German livestock. Like, that's the... They're not even trading with people. They're trading with animals. Um, it's fucking dire. And they're sending this all overseas. And it's like, in exchange, they get like one machine. Um, it's not good. It's not sustainable. And it's slowly making Russia weaker. And the 1800s, where you could sort of supplant um, a lot of shit with artisanal craft. Artisanal craft? So like... It didn't really matter that they didn't have the same capacity to, like, I don't know, make artillery or guns or railroads as, like, other countries because the, like, 
local industry was enough to like fill in the gaps um now it's not now with like industrial production really a thing um they are seriously lacking in terms of material shit um and this is like you know increasingly a problem um and they start doing some basic and some more complicated attempts to rectify this. So there's a guy called like Sergei Vitter, um, and he's a wunderkind. He rocks on in. Uh, he's sort of like his. I think his biggest claim to fame is he's responsible for the Trans-Siberian Railroad, which is like an absolute feat. Um, it is that. Not to get, uh, like, rail-struck, but... Oh, that is... Like... A, a marvel of engineering. Um, and yeah, so, like, you know, they've got the Trans-Siberian Railway going. Um, he figured out a system to build investment in Russia and start building up industrial capacity and all this sort of vibe. Um... It all comes to a head in 1904 when basically like Russia's trying to take a bit of China for themselves. Um, they really want to take this peninsula that I can't remember if it's part of China now or part of Korea now. I think it's still part of China. Um, they're trying to take this little peninsula so they can have a an extra warm water port. You might have heard the meme, like, Russia wants warm water ports. It's, like, shorthand, but it is so accurate. Um, like, it's crazy that a, a nation that spans so much geography... Like, like Russia's a huge country. Russian Empire, even more so. But... They didn't have any ports, they didn't have any ports, they didn't have anywhere their boats to go, <laughs> and so like, the fucking British with their little island had more global power, because their ports were like in an ocean that didn't melt, that uh, didn't melt, that didn't freeze, so they could just like, fuck around wherever, whereas the Russians were really constrained to the areas close to their borders, and Port Arthur, it was called, this port on the, um, Laudon, maybe, peninsula, offered them an opportunity to sort of expand that power projection. So, for the New Zealand connection, if you go around New Zealand and the coastlines, there's all these, like, fortifications, like, concrete fortifications built up. Most of those, most of those were built, um, to defend New Zealand against Russian invasion. Fucking Russian invasion. Um, one of the biggest scams ever pulled. I don't, like, New Zealand's history is just a history of us getting fucking scammed. Like, founded by a scammer, we are the nation of the scammed. Like, oh my god, it makes so much sense. We're descended from the people who got scammed by Wakefield. No wonder we're all fucking rubes. Holy shit. Um, but yeah, basically, like, construction group was like, oh man, really would suck if Russia invaded, you know, they're really scary, we, we better build like fucking millions of dollars in old timey money 
worth of fortifications to stop that. Um, I'm not sure, like, that, that's completely apocryphal. That probably didn't happen. Uh, it was probably, like, locally managed by councils or whatever, but it, we still got scammed. That's the thing you need to remember. Um, so, yeah, Sergei Vita builds the Trans-Siberian Railroad. They try to get this peninsula. That's going to be, like, Vladivostok is where the Trans-Siberian Railroad ends, but there's going to be, a, a, like, a feeder line to this peninsula. Now... The Japanese say, hold up, and they fucking come along and absolutely wreck Russia's shit. So they do a surprise attack on the Russian ships, the Russian fleet in the east, uh, and basically spank it. And then they do a surprise ground attack, and this is a little bit more um, so-so sided. The Russians, I'm going to talk about... My, my favorite thing ever next episode which is the um the the fucking baltic fleet's death ride anyway catch you later